under attack. The FBI is warning of growing cyber threats from China ahead of the next election, and the hackers aren't picky either. The computer networks of both Republicans and Democrats are getting breached. Personal data of millions of Americans has ended up in the hands of the Chinese regime over the years, all thanks to cyber attacks. Plus, millions of dollars all funneled away. But China's not the only player. The FBI also warning to keep an eye out for Russia and Iran. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. A warning from a senior FBI official calling on U.S. officials to be on their guard ahead of the next election. They say Chinese hackers pose a growing threat and that U.S. officials could see more Chinese cyber activity against their states as foreign actors search for political intel. The remark comes from Cynthia Kaiser, Deputy Assistant Director of the FBI's Cyber Division. She noted Chinese hackers scanned the computer infrastructure of both Republicans and Democrats. Why? Searching for vulnerabilities. It's unclear if any data was compromised. In addition to China, Kaiser said potential cyber attacks from Russia and Iran remain a significant concern. Chinese hackers have been waging cyber attacks against the U.S. for over a decade. Among the information they lifted, personal files on over 4 million U.S. government employees, clearance background information on over 20 million Americans, and most recently, at least $20 million of COVID-19 relief money. Responding to Kaiser's remark, the Chinese embassy in Washington said it does not encourage cyber attacks. The U.S. is hitting back at Beijing's efforts to steal American technology. To do it, the Departments of Justice and Commerce are forming a joint task force. Here are the details. Our goal is simple, but it's essential. To strike back against adversaries trying to siphon off our best technologies. Monaco is the number two official in the Justice Department. She added that any technology that has gone to Chinese companies could have ended up in Beijing's hands. If a company is operating in China and is collecting your data, it's a good bet that the Chinese government is accessing it. Beijing has been stealing American know-how over the past decade, and the U.S. is paying a hefty price for it. Estimated losses sit between $200 billion and $600 billion every year. A well-known victim is Equifax, one of the largest consumer reporting agencies in the U.S. In a 2017 cyber attack against the company, Chinese military hackers got a hold of information on over 140 million Americans. Details included addresses, birth dates, and social security numbers. The Pentagon's top China official has arrived in Taiwan. Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense Michael Chase making the trip amid aftershocks from the downing of the Chinese balloon and three more unidentified objects. So far, neither the U.S. nor Taiwan have commented on the visit. Despite Taiwan having its own democratically elected leaders and constitution, China has a history of opposing any official visits by foreign authorities to the island. U.S. officials have made a number of trips to the island in recent years. In 2022, then-U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi landed in Taipei. In response, China staged a series of military actions, encircling the island with troops as they carried out a live military drill. And in 2020, U.S. Health Secretary Alex Azar paid a visit to Taiwan to support its transparency during the COVID-19 pandemic. Beijing once again denounced the trip. 
calling it a U.S. attempt to interfere with the one-China policy. That's Beijing's stance that Taiwan is part of mainland Chinese territory. Chase is the most senior U.S. defense official to visit Taiwan since 2019. As of now, Beijing officials have yet to comment on the visit. Another Chinese balloon, this time landing in Taiwan. A team is now investigating its purpose. The balloon was discovered on one of Taiwan's outlying islands on Thursday. Taiwan's foreign minister said the balloon carried equipment registered to a Chinese state-owned electronics company and that a label on the craft identifies it as a weather balloon. But the minister said officials aren't quite ready to make a determination on its purpose. A spokesman for the Chinese electronics company confirmed it provided equipment for the balloon but had not built it. He added the balloon was likely the kind that's launched daily to monitor weather conditions and that the craft probably launched from a coastal city in mainland China just across Taiwan without a fixed flight course. Dozens of Chinese military balloons have appeared in Taiwanese airspace in recent years. Both Taiwanese and American officials believe these balloons are used to collect weather data, which is useful for adjusting radar and missile systems. Weather conditions impact missile accuracy. The U.S. has accused the Chinese Communist Party of dispatching balloons worldwide to spy on Washington and its allies. In January alone, border officials seized enough fentanyl to kill nearly 10 million people. Most of the drugs and its ingredients originate in China. Now, a Senate committee is investigating Chinese goods coming into the U.S., both illegal drugs and items made by slave labor. Here's more on that probe. The U.S. Senate Finance Committee on Thursday held a hearing focusing on Chinese production. They say much of it hurts the American economy. Democratic Senator Ron Wyden led the hearing. You pay poverty wages, you pollute as you please. Chinese companies have been able to flood U.S. markets with cheap goods and undercut all the competition. Throughout the hearing, Republicans and Democrats agreed on the threat China poses to America's industry. Senators sought solutions to limit the harm. We believe here on this committee that American workers are the best in the world. but awful hard to compete with slave labor. What's the effect here at home? Factories shuttered, American jobs lost to China. Wyden says American companies should cut China out of their supply chain. He also stressed that many Uyghur Muslims are being forced into slave labor in Western China. The regime does the same to Falun Gong practitioners and other prisoners of conscience throughout the country. Another issue is counterfeit goods, which are often manufactured in China. Republican Senator Mike Crapo said the U.S. should update customs laws. The last comprehensive update to our customs laws occurred exactly 30 years ago. A smart reform now will not only allow us to seize new opportunities, but also to confront the rise of opportunists. Crapo also pointed out that many illegal drugs are crossing the border into the U.S. He shared numbers of drugs seized by the CBP in January. Over 327 pounds of methamphetamine, 139 pounds of cocaine, and 42 pounds of fentanyl. That's enough fentanyl to kill nearly 10 million people. The bulk of the fentanyl flow into the U.S. originates in China, either directly or in a pre-processed stage. The senator says updating the customs system could prevent illegal items from coming into the U.S. 
60 nations, including the U.S. and China, supporting a call to action on Thursday. The message, all countries must use artificial intelligence or AI responsibly in their military development. By signing the statement, nations showed their commitment to using military AI based on international legal obligations and in a way that does not undermine international security, stability and accountability. The pledge was made during the first international summit on military AI. The Netherlands and South Korea co-hosted the gathering this week at The Hague. Human rights experts and academics noted the statement isn't legally binding, and critics say it fails to address concerns like AI-guided drones, slaughter bots that could kill with no human intervention, or the risk that an AI could escalate a military conflict. Organizers did not invite Russia following its 2022 invasion of Ukraine. Ukraine chose not to attend. That's as the nation has made use of facial recognition and AI-assisted targeting systems in its fight with Moscow. Israel participated in the conference but did not sign the statement. The U.S. and other powerful countries have been reluctant to agree to any legal limits on using AI. That's for fear that restricting the technology could put them at a disadvantage to rivals. But what exactly are its military applications? AI can process vast amounts of data very quickly, making it ideal for assessing threats, analyzing scenarios, and even boosting cybersecurity. It can also aid in training for troops and even help find qualified recruits. All of that while reducing the amount of manpower and time needed to achieve goals. China banning two large U.S. aerospace companies on Thursday. The apparent retaliation follows the shootdown of the Chinese spy balloon, and the penalties mark China's latest sanctions against them. Let's zoom in. China is going after Lockheed Martin and Raytheon, two of the biggest aerospace and defense manufacturers in the world. It has put the companies on an unreliable entities list, banning them from imports and exports related to China. These are Beijing's latest sanctions against the two U.S. firms. They come after the U.S. military shot down a Chinese spy balloon. Lockheed makes the F-22 Raptor fighter jet, which flew the mission, and Raytheon makes the missile it used to take it down. Beijing warned of countermeasures against relevant U.S. entities that undermine China's sovereignty and security after the incident. Neither company sells defense products to China. Raytheon declined to comment. Lockheed could not be immediately reached for comment. Beijing took several other measures. It banned the companies from further investment in China, barred senior management from entering the country, canceled residence permits for any staff in China, and imposed fines that are double the contracted amounts of the arms sales in Taiwan. Last February, China sanctioned the two firms over a $100 million arms sale to Taiwan. The White House press secretary called China's measures symbolic and unnecessary. The U.S. does not sell weapons to China, but must provide Taiwan with the means to defend itself under the Taiwan Relations Act. Amid news developments about the Chinese spy balloon, we spoke with two experts to unpack Beijing's new counterclaim. Chinese officials recently went on the offensive, with a spokesman accusing Washington of flying at least 10 high-altitude balloons into Chinese airspace last year. As for whether that's true, an expert is casting doubt. First, the Chinese Communist Party failed to produce any credible evidence that its airspace was invaded by high-altitude balloons. Secondly, the party didn't show any proof that these balloons came from the U.S. if they did exist. 
The White House promptly denied Beijing's claim. National Security Council spokesperson Adrian Watson also made a rebuttal, pointing to how China has flown spy balloons over 40 countries on five continents. But looking deeper, Beijing's latest remark is more than just a play on words, and it's nothing new. Another commentator brought up how the Chinese regime is known for making false countercharges to shift blame, a strategy he termed backbiting. The CCP's nature is to bite back. It aims to confuse right and wrong in the international arena and to muddy the waters. But it can't achieve this internationally. It mainly serves as internal propaganda to deceive the Chinese people and cover up its own failures. For instance, when the U.S. condemned the CCP for launching a massive cyber attack, it counterclaimed that the U.S. was a major hacking power. When the U.S. suspected that COVID-19 originated from the Wuhan Virus Institute, the CCP retorted that the virus originated from the U.S., and so on. How exactly does Beijing use the tactic? Tong said this approach paints the communist regime as the victim, meaning it can dodge accusations, like breaching international rules or violating human rights. Coming up, the Chinese Communist Party has a long history of suppressing freedom of belief. But why? And can the U.S. really counter Beijing when it lists climate change as the nation's most significant issue? We spoke to the former chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, Nadine Mainza, to find out more on that. Her comments after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Why does the Chinese Communist Party suppress people of faith? And why should the West care about safeguarding religious freedom in other countries? We sat down with the former chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, Nadine Mainza, to get her take. Nadine Mainza, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So I want to start with China. We're seeing this like COVID outbreak. With the three years of the lockdowns, how has the human rights situation either gotten worse or has more people turned to faith? You know, I, I think what we're seeing is um, a continuation of, of repression against minority communities. Even today, um, the uh, Speaker of the Legislative Yan in um, Taiwan, who's really the Speaker of the House, President Yu, um, he, he gave some pretty chilling stories about um, the destruction of, of religious sites, of ch churches, of hundreds of churches, of mosques um, that continue. Um, these religious communities are not a threat to the government of China. And yet they look at faith as being a threat, as being dangerous, and continue to repress it. And I think sometimes with COVID, it's made it almost more invisible because everyone's so busy looking at COVID that they're not looking at the fact that they're continuing to destroy houses of worship and in uh, oppress people of faith. And why is the Chinese Communist regime so maybe afraid of faith? Why the crackdown? I think that, that what the Chinese Communist Party wants is their ideology to be treated like a religion and want people to worship Xi Jinping as the leader. And so faith to them is almost an anti-patriotic threat, which again, makes no sense. And, um, but, but is part of, um, of, of their, their own ideology that you can't have another ideology other than the ideology of the state. And clearly the people of China want something different when we started seeing these uprisings of people tired of, of the lack of freedom. And so many of the policies clearly on, on COVID have not benefited the people, have not stopped COVID, 
um, have hurt them um, economically, have, have hurt them socially, have hurt these young children that are growing up. And so the people I, in China, I, it's clear that they're very frustrated with these repressive measures that the Chinese government continues um, to perpetuate throughout the country. I want to zoom in on that. So Xi Jinping did secure his third term yes. last October, and we really saw a return to more Maoist ideology, so mm. focus on that. Yeah. But we're seeing these protests, as you mentioned, yeah. right? the white paper movement, and white. people weren't just calling for ending the COVID policies, but also for Xi Jinping to step down and for the CCP to step down. So how do you see all of this playing out? You know, it's, 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 it's hard to know. I mean, I have some hope because it's clear that people think there could be a future of freedom or they wouldn't try. You're not going to risk your life, your family's life, your status, if you don't think there could be a possibility. So clearly, internally in China, there's some, some thread going around that there's a shot we have as the people to take back our rights, to, to be able to, that maybe we don't have to live like this the rest of our lives. And, and that's hopeful. Um, you know, it was a, a I think all of us felt probably a mixture of emotions watching some of the protests because you knew you're so brave. I'm standing with you, but I also know that this may come at a cost for you personally and that you're willing to pay a price like that for freedom. And so it's, it's so admirable. I have so much admiration for them, but my heart also breaks for the suffering that they've also endured. To your point, we are seeing those reports coming out, even videos of young people who are protesting, saying if you're seeing this, it means yeah. I've been disappeared. So what can maybe freedom-loving countries do to yeah. try and help? So I, I really think that trade deals should have human rights um, as part of those have benchmarks. Um, I'm, I am thrilled that the, the United States, um, the, the Uyghur Protection Act, which you know made it so that there's a presumption that all goods that come from Xinjiang are made with slave labor from the Uyghur concentration camps. And so a, a company could still sell to the United States from that region if they could, they have to prove though that they're not being made with slave labor. Those kind of things that we can do, I think, economically. I think countries in unison, I, the thing is that so many countries aren't going to stand up to big bad actors. These smaller countries really can't, but they could do it in unison with others, and there are other things that the U.S. could lead on. But I think it's important for the United States to lead because others are waiting to see what we're going to do. If, if we're going to continue to look away, and we expect these other countries to look away because they're going to, they, they don't have the power we have to stand up to China. I want to ask your opinion. So there's an op-ed, I think, came out last year in the Wall Street Journal that was saying President Biden has to choose between climate change and the human rights abuses happening in China <laughs> because there seems to be some, like, talks on Capitol Hill saying, you know, maybe repealing the solar panel tariffs and talks of, say, you know, we need this green energy revolution, these parts for it, but then maybe overlooking the human rights. So how do you see this? Yeah, you know, that, that makes absolutely no sense. Um, you know, if we're buying parts from China, even if it's for the green revolution, and once again, our economy is going to depend on their economy, which puts us in a really bad situation. Um, we saw that with COVID when, you know, companies shut down and we can't get parts. So um, there's no reason that the, the, the these are, these are two separate issues in the sense of human rights. There's no reason to, to ever push aside human rights. There, there's no good reason. And you know, even if we're looking for long-term change, we're looking for stability, and we see this in other parts of the world. I use Syria as an example. The U.S. is, is their, their policy in Syria. Religious freedom has never been a part of, of the policy. So we end up at a place where we have bad actors that are endorsed by the United States committing atrocities in certain parts of the country but because we never had religious freedom at the table because it was an important security you know, concern for us and that was a priority, we ended up in a situation that's not sustainable 
or had religious freedom been at the table early on, we might be in a different situation in a country like that. And so I think anytime you push human rights aside, it's going to come back and hurt you in a way that you didn't expect it. And, and those kind of arguments um, are, in the, are not in the best interest of the United States. So what would a good policy look like? I think you mentioned a little bit on like maybe our own 25-year plan, but what would a good policy look yeah. like? I think it would be tying human rights to a lot of the economic um, interactions with China. Um, I think strong diplomatic support, um, interaction is important. Um, figuring out how things we could do that could really hurt China. And a lot of this is private. Um, you know, we're not saying pri privately. Figure out how could you impact their economy here and, and, and threaten to do it if they, if they don't make other positive improvements. So I think the U.S. Is, is the most powerful country in the world and has all sorts of levers with these countries they can pull if they want to. The question is, do they have the political will? Do they care enough or do they want to save that for something else? like a technological advantage or some sort of um, business or economic um, relationship. And, and But at the end of the day, we pay the price when we continue to let these things fester. So it's in the best interest of the United States to call these out, to stand strong, and to not allow China to get away with us. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.